It's all about communication. And it's about taking the time to work on your business, not just in your business. We all get consumed by the day-to-day requirements of our business, but this planning piece is really important. And it was what I learned about after my mom passed away and what I learned about should have been done before her passing. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Today's bonus episode of How Success Happened is brought to you by Principal Financial Group. Discover insight to help support your employees and your business at principal.com backslash businesses. That's principal.com backslash businesses. Beth Wood is the Executive Vice President and CMO of Principal Financial Group. Prior to working at Principal Financial Group, she was Vice President and CMO at Guardian Life Insurance. She started her career at Frito-Lay after graduating from Babson College and eventually moved to Johnson & Johnson. After her mother's passing, Beth led her family's 50-year-old small business, expanding marketing strategies and tripling revenue during her role as president and CMO. Her experiences as a small business owner inspired her to learn how to plan for family and employee succession and led her to her current position at Principal Financial Group. On this episode of How Success Happens, I sat down with Beth to discuss the differences between working at a large corporation versus running a small business and how it has influenced her career. I started by asking her about her experience joining a large organization after graduating college. It's a great question. So Frito-Lay was part of PepsiCo when I started there. And uh, it was actually going through, Pepsi was going through quite a transformation. But I wanted to go there in part because of the challenge of being an undergraduate without an MBA. And Frito-Lay was hiring only MBAs. And uh, I had the opportunity coming out of college to interview with a number of senior leaders at Frito. And I think the opportunity for me was just one to be amongst some very intelligent marketers. I mean, I watched these people understand consumer behavior and advertising and distribution and all the elements of the business model in a way that I had not seen before. And food and beverage was near and dear to my heart. I had grown up with a family that led small businesses, a very entrepreneurial family, all in the food and beverage space. So it just felt very natural for me. So for me, this was an opportunity to practice my craft, which was marketing. I started my college career with the aspiration of being a stockbroker. So did I. (laughs) uh, Right? Doesn't everybody? Yeah, Yeah, but I quickly got out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't quite get out of it that quickly, but I was very interested in making a lot of money on Wall Street. And uh, one of my friends in college said, you need to take a marketing class because you just you're not seeing yourself in the mirror. And I did and never turned back. And so consumer behavior became something I became almost obsessed with. Yeah, that's how I got there. 
you've done incredible things uh, as we look, you know, down on, on your resume as a chief marketing officer. But tell us about that original experience. You kind of briefed on it a little bit. You had a, uh, some exposure to that with your family. Tell us what that was like initially, your first exposure to small business. Yeah. So um, my grandfather, my grandparents were immigrants to the United States, first generation immigrants to the United States, as as many report, and they had to make a living. And so they came over and they started a restaurant in downtown Boston. And uh, it exists to this day, run by a different group of people, of course, but I remember working in that restaurant day in and day out, probably well, much younger than I was allowed to work. And uh, everyone in my mother's family worked in that restaurant. My mother was one of nine children. And in those days, you had kids to help you run the business. And our business wasn't a farm. You know, I sit here in Iowa and I watch these families who come together to run a farm. But in this case, it was a family coming together to run a restaurant. And I was always enamored by the fact that my grandfather reported to no one that the buck stopped with him and everybody knew it and everybody paid homage to him and made sure that we did things the way that he wanted them done. And I just, I was enamored by that. It wasn't really in my blood, but I was fascinated by it. You know, it's incredible because we've interviewed a lot of restaurateurs on this show. And uh, I will say hands down, owning and running a restaurant has to be the hardest, one of the most, as an entrepreneur, I look at people who run restaurants as the most incredible entrepreneurs. It's yeah. just such a difficult task. And you're yeah. telling me this business is still around today. Yes. Still around today, run by a different group of people, but still has the same esprit de corps and the same essence that it had back in the late fifties, early sixties when it first opened. Yeah, and I so, know. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I know from you working there now, I know why you're so successful because that's really <laughs> where you got your business school training, I am sure. And yeah, you know, I want to talk to you because as I talked about authenticity and, and talking about small and medium sized businesses, you were working for Frito and then J&J. But it's my understanding that mid career, you stepped into your family's business, another business. And I, I want you to tell us about your decision and, and how that all came about at the time, especially when it seemed like you were on the fast track at some of these major corporations. Yeah. I don't know if I was on the fast track, but I was on the track I wanted to be on. And uh, I loved my career at Frito-Lay and at Johnson & Johnson. Fantastic companies, great programs. I have friends there that I am still close with today. And it was just a great experience. But life handed me a little bit of a curveball while I was at Johnson & Johnson. And I often say that that was when I became an accidental entrepreneur. It was not my choice to run my own business. I was very comfortable leading businesses for large organizations. I appreciated the rigor and the discipline that came with a large organization, the resources, the intellectual capital you could find around every corner of a large corporation. And I was really, it was what lit up my head and my heart, you know, at the time. And uh, my mother passed away young and it was unexpected. And before she passed, I was the oldest of three children, still am today. And I said, she said to me, you know, I you need to take this over and keep this running. And 
as the oldest child in a family that's run this business now at this point for 20 years, you don't want to let your parents down. And so that's what I did. And what I did was take a year off from J&J. They were very gracious and said, take a year leave of absence, do what you need to do in this business, and then come back. And what happened was I got there and I got the bug and I couldn't go back. And I saw the employees that worked in that business, how hard they worked, how passionate they were about the business and how committed they were to carrying the legacy forward. And so I stayed and I stayed for what amounted to 14 years and built the business from what what it was to what it was at the end of my time, which was 2007. So it was a great run. I learned so much about myself and about leadership and about how to wear every hat possible. And that's, you know, to your point, Robert, that's what entrepreneurs do. They juggle a lot of balls. And, you know, we often hear the role of, are you the role of muse, maverick, or magician? Every entrepreneur has a little magician in them because they make things happen that are just really remarkable. You know, it's such an incredible story and and pulling out and doing that. And it seems like there was a little bit of pressure on you from your mom to say, hey, you know, you have to come and and, and you need to do this. And you had other siblings. And when we talk about businesses and family-owned businesses, there are a lot of challenges. How difficult was that at the time? You know, not only dealing, obviously, your mom passing away, of course, is one thing, but having brothers and sisters, uh, you know, and siblings that you were all, I assume, owners in the company. What was that like? Yeah, that's, you've hit on the the key sort of emotional element, the emotional rat's nest, if you will, because there's so much good and there's so much challenge there in a family business. Both my brother and my sister were already working in the business. So think about that. They're already there. And my mom says, you need to come and you need to keep this thing on the straight and narrow. And so that was hard for both of them. And it was hard for me. And in hindsight, we didn't talk about it as much as we probably should have. Anyone who runs a family business knows that you never leave the business at the door. Mm-hmm. It comes home with you. It's at the Thanksgiving table and the holiday table. And it is a topic of conversation or at least elements of the conversation in every family interaction. And it's it represents joy and hurt and conflict. And um, you just have to work through it. And you, communication becomes so critical. And one of the very difficult choices that my parents made uh, was how do you share stock amongst your children? Do you divide the stock equally? Do you favor the person who you're saying is going to lead the business? Those are decisions that founders make all the time. Never realized how challenging that would be. And I was right in the middle of that, watching my parents work through that right before my mom passed. And ultimately, my father had to make the call. And he decided that everybody was an equal partner. And that's how we went forward. You know, I I love your attitude and I I love that you said, okay, it sounds like I'll I'll deal with that because when it comes to succession and when it comes to family business, there's a lot of people would say, hey, wait a minute, I'm running this now. I'm the CEO. I'm coming in here. I'm giving up this huge career. I need 50 per, you know, that that's the common, unfortunately, the common, you know, way, but it sounds like you just put your head down and said, you know what, this is what my parents want and you move forward. And to some, it sounds like it was successful. Yeah. I think that's all right. I mean, I think at the end of the day, 
what I bought into was the promise, the promise of what this could be. And I took a bet on myself. And, you know, when you're in a a large corporation working for a large organization, you're a little bit insulated. You have a lot of resources. You have a lot of support. You have people that you can go to and speak with and, and bounce ideas off of. When you're an entrepreneur, you are looking at it in the mirror every morning and saying, okay, what are we going to do today? And how are we going to move this thing forward? And you may be surrounded by some important key persons that are helping you run the business or a partnership that you have in place. But at the end of the day, you're betting on yourself. And I was willing to bet on myself at that point in my career. I did feel like I was giving a lot up, but I also felt like I was gaining a lot of opportunity to really, in an unprotected environment, test my skills and my ability to move a business forward. Yeah. I mean, to me, I I love the positive attitude and also how you learn so much from being an entrepreneur for many years also learn so much from being within big organizations. And I do want to talk about the experience when, you know, you went and you became or chose to become an entrepreneur and you got really good insight into what succession looks like for family businesses and how hard it is. In fact, I read a stat recently from the U.S. Census Bureau's annual business survey, and I was shocked. It said one third of businesses are family owned. But their chance of being passed to the next generation is only 30%. I think of your grandfather's store, or, you know, just what are your thoughts on that? And why is it so difficult? Yeah, there are some fascinating stats when it comes to the succession of family business. And I, to this day, am curious and ask a lot of questions about what family entrepreneurs should do in order to plan for succession. And it's part of why I have this third chapter of my career in financial services, because I was curious about what my mother should have done to plan for succession. And she was of the mindset that she would just die at her desk someday. And there was never going to be a need for succession. But to your question about transitions, generational transition of businesses, it's very challenging because What I have found is rarely does the next generation have the same passion and the same enthusiasm for the product, the service, the environment that the business is, the value that the business is bringing to their customer. And so when you go into your own business with the purpose of making money, your likelihood of success is pretty slim. You have to go in with a a series of motivators, one of those being a passion for bringing your product to market, for helping the customers that you're working with, for creating a service. And that passion doesn't always carry generation to generation. I marvel at some of the businesses that say fourth generation market or fourth generation restaurant or whatever you know they might communicate. I'm always fascinated by how they've successfully been able to pass from one generation to the next. And I think that's because that was always the plan. And so when there is a long-term succession plan to build a generational business, you act differently than we did in my family. In my family, it wasn't my intent to go into the business. So I went off in a different 
direction. And I think that's part of why my journey there didn't last a lifetime. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. And even talking to you today, I was on a plane yesterday coming back from a conference. And of course, you know, whenever you're on a plane, you're thinking like, okay, what, what happens if this plane... And I'm sitting next to my two partners and we started the business. Now it's only been about two and a half years. Okay. And I'm thinking, wait, if this plane, like what's going to happen? Because we've already established and looking back now, is it, you know, when I think about it, we should really have a plan, right? I mean, even if it's not family succession, but like, what do you recommend just in terms from your experience, even for new business and and when is a good time to start planning? Yeah, it's a great question. You start in the beginning. You have to have a plan from the beginning because to your point, if something happened to that plane or if you were, God forbid, diagnosed with cancer or whatever, um, something happened to you, you became sick or injured, you'd need that business to continue running. You'd want that business to continue running and you want it to run on your wishes the way that you want it to run. So you want to tap the person that's going to step into your shoes either temporarily or permanently. So sitting down with a financial planner and having a plan, that financial planner is not here to sell you life insurance. They're here to say, what do you want? Tell me what your wishes are. And that could be an attorney. It could be a family attorney. It could be an accountant. It could be a financial planner. Someone who's going to help you think about what is your plan for succession. And in many cases, people's children are too young to take over the business. So you might be building a business thinking, oh, my kids are going to take this over someday. But if your kids are four today, (laughs) they're not taking over the business for a very long time. And that creates a window of risk. And so you have to think about what you would do if something happened. And so it's just really having a basic plan and having a a partnership agreement. You know, you have two partners, you said, right? So having an understanding amongst the partners, what happens if, what happens if partner A decides he or she wants to go do something else? What's the plan? And that again, gets back to my very first point, which is it's all about communication. And it's about taking the time to work on your business, not just in your business. We all get consumed by the day-to-day requirements of our business, but this planning piece is really important. And it was what I learned about after my mom passed away and what I learned about should have been done before her passing. It's so true because you just said it and and being an entrepreneur and this is my third business. And I think in the first couple, we waited and, and, and I'm so consumed day in and day out. And so many entrepreneurs and business owners, especially probably listening to this podcast, so consumed with the day-to-day making payroll, especially through the right. hard times we're dealing with right now. And it sounds like I know it. And from what you say, it's like you have to take that time and set this up no matter what that day. If it's dealing with, you know, working with a financial planner, an accountant, whoever it might be, you have to really step into that and make time. And I was thinking like, wow, we've we've built this business up really quickly, you know, two and a half, whatever year. But like, I was like, oh my God. And I'm a third time entrepreneur. So you must see this all the time. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I mean, it's really hard. But if you start with, we're going to do one hour a week. We're just going to take an hour a week, Friday afternoons from three three to four. And we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about what our goals and dreams are, what we want for this business, what we would do 
if something happened. And there are people out there who are so smart about this and can help guide that conversation and help you think through all the different options for succession. And that's really important that you have a third party at the table because trying to manage it yourself is like saying, well, I'm going to do surgery on my foot myself and I'll be fine. You don't, you would never do that. So you need an expert. You need somebody who's seen this before and who's willing to listen and understand your business. And then you and each of your partners, long-term goals. Uh, For sure. I mean, there's so many intricacies and situations that could arise. You alluded to it. One family member or partner wants to, you know, leave the, you know, there's so many things and you never, it's hard to count for anything that could happen. And and I've known whenever I've dealt in the past with advisors, financial planners, it's, they'll bring up stuff. I mean, that I never would have ever thought of. And the interesting thing is some of those things happened to me with past businesses. And I'd love to ask you going from being an entrepreneur and doing that for 14 years and then stepping back, going to a large business, and especially in your role today at Principal, where you're the chief marketing officer. And what did you take from being an entrepreneur to now being chief marketing officer of this organization? And really, some of the things you do are you do help businesses, of course, with things this. So what do you think most importantly, you took from your prior experience into what you're doing today at Principal? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, at the end of the day, it's all about consumer insight, right? Marketing is all about understanding your customer, the consumer you're targeting, having deep insight about what's important to them and how they think, how they live, work, and play. And when I left my small business, I ended up in financial services for exactly that reason. I wanted to understand what should my mother have done in order to create a proper succession plan. That was my goal. That was the only reason I was going to go into financial services so I could understand it a little bit better. And then I would be out and I would go do something else. But I got the this bug, right? My third bug. And as my team knows, I often say everybody has at least three chapters in their career. And this is my third chapter and it's financial services. And I've been in it probably the longest of any of the chapters. And the reason I love it is because it helps me help small businesses understand what they needed to do and what they need to do in moving their business forward. And it helps us speak in English, right? Financial services can be a very jargony industry. We use a lot of acronyms. We use a lot of jargon like most industries, but trying to democratize what we're talking about and help people understand that this is about you living out your dreams and making sure that what you're building either lives on or doesn't live on if that's not your choice. And working with financial planners every day that work side by side with small business owners and watching them guide a small business owner through, as you said, some of these recent dynamics like the war on talent, a global pandemic of the volatility of the market. Money's easy to get. Money's hard to get. People are easy to find. People are hard to find. I mean, it's, it is just one thing after another. And being able to at least be a part of the solution that helps make the ride a little bit easier for small and medium-sized businesses is what I'm in this for. 
I love it. It sounds like you have probably seen and worked with so many of your financial planners and and clients who own small and medium-sized businesses. And as an entrepreneur, that's why I do this podcast. I love talking to entrepreneurs and you, you can relate to them. And I'm sure for you in this position, you're able to do that, which you know, as you talked about, you're, you're really enjoying it because you're doing what you love. And it sounds like from being that entrepreneur, you really never were able to let go of that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's, it, it really is about seeing people build their dream. And if your dream is to be a serial entrepreneur and you want to open multiple businesses and, you know, open one, sell it, open another, great. We want to help you do that and think through what's possible. But just being able to understand those dynamics and then what that means for them in building their business long-term, my backdrop of doing it myself, I call on that every day. Mm. I call on that when we're building advertisements. You know, we just went through a series of building ads to help small business owners think about what needs to happen in order to win the war on talent. I was talking to a friend the other day who owns a restaurant. Her restaurant is temporarily closed because she can't find help. And she said, the people I employed pre-pandemic, they went out and found other jobs and decided that those other jobs were where they wanted to stay post-pandemic. So now everybody else has returned to normal, but I'm really having a hard time returning to normal. And we brainstormed about some of the ways she can go find talent and she's going to work on it and she's not going to let go. But being able to have those conversations with people and then translate that into national advertising, into stories that resonate, with small business owners is really where you call on those on those experiences as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it must also, you know, I'm sure people find companies like Principal a little bit late. They haven't planned and something happens. Sort of like what you were fortunate in a way where it wasn't much of a succession plan for your business, but you came in. But I am sure you have seen so many sad situations where there was a great business and there was no succession plan. And I mean, that's got to really eat at you because, you know, your whole basis of joining, you know, being a CMO at, at Principal Financial Group or is to help these people. But do you see that a lot of times like plans that there are no plans? Yeah, the no plan plan. Yeah, we see that a lot. Um, but we also see the other side. We yeah. see where there's a very well conceived plan, and people have considered all the possibilities and planned for all the possibilities. Now, I, I don't know that you can ever plan for everything, but you do your best to understand the wishes of the entrepreneur or this the group of partners and put a plan in place. And I've seen both sides. I've seen family businesses that have boarded up because there wasn't a plan. There wasn't a next generation interested in taking over or the next generation took over and couldn't make it work because they didn't really have the same passion or fire for making the business run and for doing what the owner did. You know, you watch hospitality is not a big part of our business, but it is it is relevant because we watch people who are who own restaurants or delis or or other hospitality type services. They work really hard and their customers are so important to them. And we see many of those businesses under pressure trying to figure it out. 
And so many have have figured it out. And so we try to take those best practices and share them amongst all of our customers. When the pandemic hit, we took a lot of time trying to help our customers understand what to do in the PPE space, what to do to um, take advantage of government support what to do to protect their customers and their employees if they had to stay open or if they had the opportunity to stay open, maybe not early days of the pandemic, but later days. And so trying to just be a source of truth and a source of information, this isn't about us selling products. This is about us building trust. And our brand as being a global brand has a platform and a voice to be able to elevate the conversation for small and medium-sized businesses and just helping them understand what are other business owners doing? Because we hear that a lot from our customers and non-customers. I want to know what other businesses are doing to deal with this war on talent or to find financing or whatever their challenge might be. Yeah, that's got to be an incredible resource if, if you're a client, let's say, a principal, because being an entrepreneur could be extremely lonely. And, you know, there's different groups, people try and join, but the vast majority of small and medium-sized business owners, they're kind of on an island. And I didn't think about that, but you're really able to help a lot of these people understand what others are going through. And I'm sure it makes them feel better in many ways and gives them the knowledge to be able to know what to do. Is that something that you've seen that has been really helpful to some of your clients being able to support them that way? Of course. I mean, and there's so many resources out there. You don't always know it when you're in the trenches, but I mean, look at your podcast, Robert. I mean, you're a resource to help businesses understand what's possible. Principle is a resource. There are many, many services out there to help entrepreneurs understand what others are doing and what best practice is, how to think about any topic. I mean, there's a thank goodness for the internet. You know, when I started my business, there was no internet. <laughs> Me too. And, uh, so, so I'm thankful for this great digital encyclopedia that we have. And you can find so much information and it's at your fingertips. But the key, and you said it, the key is you got to take the time to read it, to watch it, to consume it in you know one way, shape or, or form. And so if you're going to listen to this podcast while you're mowing the lawn or driving in your commute... Great. Do that, but try to find those pieces of those nuggets, pieces of information that can help you answer those pressing questions or problems that you as an entrepreneur are up against. Yeah, you know, you said it right. It's it's you have to force yourself to take the time to go sit down with someone, figure out a plan because as entrepreneurs, and we've discussed this a couple of times, you're so in the weeds, so busy. And when that moment comes, because there's tons of them, because I look back at my career and think of, okay, the first thing was 9-11, then the Great Recession, then the, like it's, and I, you know, there's no yeah. calm period, right? So you really, you just have to go do it, right? And, and make the time to plan out. To be quite honest, I'm getting pretty inspired myself right now. I'll call my partner after this say, hey, you know, we usually have done this a little bit later, but what are we thinking, right? Yeah. So you should yeah. start right off the bat. That's right. It's the old eat the elephant one bite at a time. So consume, find those pieces of content. Those, I mean, There's so much out there. Find those expert podcasts, those videos, those 
30 second clips, those 400 word articles that you can consume in a short period of time and just be disciplined about it and then take action. You know, my mom did not take action. And I don't know, I don't know to this day if it's because she didn't want to or because she didn't know how to. Hmm. Don't fall victim to that. If there's one message, it is don't be the entrepreneur that's going to die at your desk. Yeah. Take the time to enjoy the business you've built and then decide what you want to do with it. May never get to that day. You may never get to that day. You may decide, yep, I truly do want to work in this business for as long as I'm on this earth. We have a customer who we were just doing some work with. He's 93 years old and he comes in and he's he's gifted all of his company to his employees. So he's done an employee stock option program. And he comes into into the office, into the plant every single day, even if it's for a short period of time. And he just wants to be there because the esprit de corps that happens in his firm is what keeps him going. But he had a plan and his plan was to share his company with his employees. That's an exit strategy. And so you can all, you can have an exit strategy on paper. That doesn't mean you have to execute against it unless the time is right and the conditions are right. But the key is have a plan. Don't have the no plan plan. Yeah, you got to have a plan. As I think about it, without it, it would be just incredibly depressing. And for all that hard work, let's say, you know, I've put in or for this business and there's no plan, all of a sudden, it's gone. Everything you work for, and especially if it's your employees or your family and them not being able to take advantage of that, that has to be, that's why I asked about kind of seeing situations like that when people get to you late, like, you know, it just could, it just really has to be so unfortunate. And before I let you go, I want to ask you, what would you say is the biggest thing you hope family businesses and small businesses in general will take away from this conversation that we had today? Yeah. I mean, in addition to taking action and having a plan, I would hope that they would just start thinking about their succession. Think about what you want the epilogue of your business to be. What do you want that third chapter to be for your business? And are you building this business for the next generation? Is the next generation actually interested in being part of your business? And then lastly, I would say, think about all the impact that your business has had on your customers, your employees, your community, and think about whether you want that to continue as a going concern, or do you want the doors to shut when you're not here anymore, when you've decided that it's time for you to move on? And all of that has to do with having a plan. And then lastly, I would say, use the resources that are at your fingertips. I know it takes time. I know it's hard to be a continuous curious learner, but find that 15 minutes a week, one hour a week, whatever it takes to communicate with your partners, to consume best practices and to take action. That's great. And and so important. And I could really see now knowing your story of working in your grandfather's restaurant, you know, now I understand how, where your smarts came from and grit and just learning as I, I've said, I admire that so much. And then being able to now share your story because it all goes back to your mom not having this plan. And that seems to me like your mission, which you're carrying out every day now for hundreds of thousands, I'm sure, clients to help them have a plan. That to me is really inspiring. So 
I just wanted to thank you for sharing your story. And I am sure you've inspired a lot of our listeners and who are business owners, small and medium-sized business owners to really get out there and and take action. I know you've inspired me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. I appreciate the time. It's been lovely to speak with you. And thank you so much for your interest in helping these businesses plan for the future and uh, write their own epilogue. And that's our show. Today's bonus episode of How Success Happens was brought to you by Principal Financial Group. Discover insight to help support your employees and your business at principal.com backslash businesses. That's principal.com backslash businesses. This podcast provides educational information only with the understanding that Principal is not offering legal, accounting, investment, or tax advice. Business owners should consult with their counsel or other advisors when making business decisions. Insurance products and plan administrative services provided through Principal Life Insurance Company, a member of the Principal Financial Group, Des Moines, Iowa, 50392.